All right, well, good morning. Thank you, uh, thank you for coming out. I know June always gets to be a bit of a black hole as far as coming out to things goes. It seems everybody is excited for things, but June is just a season of lots of commitment and uh, gardens to grow and places to go and all of those things. So thank you for being here. I'm, I'm excited to be able to share a little bit about my thoughts as far as going forward. It, it's an honor to be kind of called and affirmed in this role, and uh, it's something I don't want to ever give the impression that I'm taking lightly or, or flippantly. So uh, first of all, I'm stepping into a situation where, all things considered, it, it's pretty healthy. I belong to a kind of an online pastor's association where you know people ask questions and give advice and Kind of like an online ministerial association, I guess you will. And just hearing what some of these other poor guys are going through, it makes me very thankful for the congregation we have, the community we have, the people that are here, the volunteers, and all of that. And to say nothing, of course, of the leadership that we've had over this last decade or so and, and uh, how well Blaine leaves the congregation as he moves out of the lead pastor role. You know, when I when I see what's going on in in that group, or just when you hear about other other churches and kind of what they have to put up with in terms of their music ministry or their preaching ministry, or just kind of you know people backbiting and gossiping or, or any of those things, I'm I'm very thankful for this congregation. At the same time, I think we all recognize and we know that if there is going to be a change in leadership in any way, that that means that there is change. Uh, it's been, I think, a pretty well-planned and smooth transition. We're not just kind of grinding everything to a halt and putting it on pause for a season and then starting fresh. We are kind of making a pretty smooth transition. But there's still change, and the new guy, me, still has to establish himself in his role, right? And I think it's better for everyone if we own this and we know this is going to happen and we understand that things are going to be a little bit different and we go about it on purpose and with our eyes open and uh, instead of dragging our feet and digging in our heels we, we are have some excitement for it. So change is, is necessary I think and it's inevitable and that's the truth I want to talk a little bit about. Now the dangers I think like in so many things are, are dangers of extremes right there's unwillingness to change at all that just leaves us kind of stuck in the past and trying to replicate the past and that doesn't work, and, and usually leads to us just being unable and ineffective in doing ministry and reaching people around us. Of course, the alternate extreme is just so much eagerness for change that we move into a state of chaos where we have kind of no idea what's going on, and there's, there's no, we feel like there's no firm foundation under our feet. And I believe that one of the most important things that a lead pastor can do, of course, with the help of leadership structure above, in our case that's our church board, and staff around, and, and the whole congregation really, key volunteers and all of that, is to manage the pace of change. Right? The, managing the pace of change, it's not just a, a straightforward process like getting in your car and driving to Moose Jaw, right? where you know the pace until you get to that 80 zone, you're going 110 and you don't even have to think about it, you just put it on cruise and go. Uh, I think what we're having to do as leaders is it's more like driving in busy traffic or on a windy mountain road where you've, you've got to speed up and you've got to slow down and you've got to pay a lot of attention 
Uh, you know, I've heard that if you fall asleep driving in Saskatchewan, eventually you just run out of gas. Uh, uh, not so on, on roads, say, in the Crow's Nest Pass or, or anywhere in BC, really, right? I think a lot of people talk about the idea of discernment kind of solely in this doctrinal or theological sense, right? Like, you know, discerning doctrine and, and all of that. And that's important. But I think equally important is, is discernment in the sense of leadership discernment or application discernment. You can call it whatever you like. But it's, it's important, right? It's where we choose what is the best over what is just simply acceptable, it's where we determine what, we, what will and won't work here and now over what worked maybe then and there but isn't going to anymore. But I do want to also talk about, but isn't truth, isn't truth unchanging, right? Isn't Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever? And, and yes, yes, I 100% affirm that and I want you to hear that. But the way that we show Jesus to the world and the traditions around how we gather to worship him, they do change. Uh, there's just no way around that. And that's okay. But some things should stay the same. And I believe some things ought to. And I hope that I can say truthfully that some things will stay the same. So first, what is going to stay the same at CCC? The centrality of Jesus Christ. CCC will remain committed to Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us. We'll continue to make much of Jesus in our corporate worship, in our other ministry events that happen outside of Sunday morning, right? Continue to make much of Jesus as God's son, our savior, our teacher, our Lord, and our ultimate hope. It's all about Jesus, and that's why we do what we do, right? If we stop aligning our lives to the reality that is found in Jesus Christ, who he is, there's really no point in even bothering to show up anymore. So I want you to know that that is not going to change at CCC. Second, the, the centrality of the Bible in our life together and in our worship. Right? In the Bible, we have God's written authoritative word about how we find peace with him, right? how, how we are saved, how we should live, how we be saved from our sins. How, how, the Bible tells us how we can live a life of love toward God and toward our neighbor and shows us what that looks like. And we don't ever want to lose that or ever give that up. But I think even there, we have some areas where we can continue to improve. Any context in which we find ourselves has certain temptations towards certain ways that we might depart from the path. Temptations we can fall into. And I think one of the primary ones that we can fall into here in this community is, is information mode, right? We, I think, because it's an academic context, we love to know more about the Bible. We love to dig into those passages that present us with difficulties or, or uh, what might seem like contradictions we might have our own theories for those areas where Scripture isn't 100% clear on certain things. And, and we just kind of love spending time on those, digging into those, speculating about stuff. But the truth is, many, probably most of us, 
we know a lot more than we live. Absorbing more information about the Bible doesn't doesn't automatically make us better disciples, followers of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't make us automatically more like Him. Similar to if you go to one of those health and wellness type stores and you buy yourself one of those big plastic tubs of protein powder and you mix it into a smoothie and drink it every day, that's not going to make you ripped. You still got to go to the gym and lift weights and exercise or that protein powder does you no good. And I think similar to that is how we engage with the Bible. We actually have to apply it. We actually have to do something with the information that we've learned. And I think the truth is it's probably better for us, you know, if we imagine a scale of 1 to 10 where, you know, 1 is a little bit of knowledge or a little bit of of application and 10 is a lot, it's probably better if we're living at a 2 or 3 in application and knowledge than living at a 10 in knowledge but only a 1 in application. And I think that's something we all can work on. So I would call us all not to use the study of the Bible as a means to even sometimes avoid doing what the Bible clearly tells us we ought to be doing. And I think we can all fall, tempta- fall prey to the temptation to do that, right? We, we know what the Bible tells us, but you know what? If I learn a little bit more about this other area over here, when the truth is maybe God is just calling us to work on obeying the parts that we already know and understand. Another thing which I hope continues is our church's commitment to strong preaching. Now, unlike many churches that call a new lead pastor, I think we're pretty fortunate in that I'm not coming in as a total unknown to you. You've already had some opportunities to to hear me preach. You've gotten to know me over these last couple of years in particular. Now, I'm not going to make any promises about filling big shoes. Number one, because Blaine doesn't wear shoes when he preaches. He preaches in his socks. But number two, it's just a silly thing to try to promise that you'd accomplish anyhow. My goal isn't to try to become Pastor Blaine, but to develop my own, my own role, my own style, my own voice. So probably going forward, there will be fewer puns, fewer, fewer uh, corny dad jokes and silly songs. But I certainly hope there's the same careful study and handling of scripture and the same conviction that it has something to say to us week by week right i i hope i can say truthfully and promise you that preaching at Karenport Community Church isn't just going to turn into a bunch of mushy self-help jargon but will continue to be a faithful exposition of God's word and application of it Sunday by Sunday Another thing that I think will not and cannot change is commitment to prayer. I am surprised sometimes by when I find out how little prayer there is in some churches' corporate worship gatherings. I think some churches, and this seems to be more a case with the very large ones, sort of boil down to a concert followed by a sermon that's sometimes a motivational talk. And if there is prayer... It often seems to be more pragmatic just to get the band off the stage and the speaker on. Um, It can be quite superficial. So I I think it's very important that we continue to pray publicly in our worship gatherings for our congregation and our community and the world. We'll continue to lead 
in times of prayer that involve confession and praise of God and adoration of Him. And we'll continue to encourage people to pray outside of Sunday morning. And here I I have a word. I I hope this doesn't sound like a rebuke, but maybe an assurance uh, for some of our more senior members. I, I sometimes hear kind of this lament that young people and students on this campus They don't pray anymore like they used to. And I I think what happens is we don't see some of those same ways that takes place, right? On a Sunday night or a Tuesday or Wednesday evening prayer meeting, if you will. Those often have been the more traditional ways that prayer happens outside of a Sunday morning. And no, those aren't happening perhaps in the same way that they used to, but It's another scenario where the way that we worship has changed, but not gone away. I I want to assure you, students are probably spending more time praying in college chapels now than they have in 15 years. Certainly since I've been a student, I've not seen this kind of dedication to prayer in college morning chapels day by day. That is currently a reality, at least in this past school year. And I've talked to Dan Gabor about this, and they plan on continuing uh, for the future, right? I, I, they they are spending considerable time in prayer in college chapel, and I think it's important that we know that there's there's getting to be less just sitting there passively listening to what's going on at the front, and a lot more praying in, in small groups in chapel, and I think that's very encouraging. And I can think of one particular time this year. Uh, I don't attend chapel every day. It's something I'll probably work on more in my full-time role as lead pastor, but I can think of one time when Andrew and Christy and I spent some pretty significant time together in prayer as the kind of younger members on this staff, you know, with confession and talking to God about pretty important things. I think that was an important thing for us as a church staff, and that was facilitated through what was going on in the ministry of the college chapel. And when I gather with when we have college students that are involved in our Sunday morning worship services and we gather to pray before the service begins, the college students are eager to participate and lead in prayer. I can assure you that our students have not given up on prayer and I can assure you that we don't intend on doing so as Karenport Community Church. CCC will remain an evangelical church. I can promise you that. Now, you, you, may, have, you may have seen me around from time to time wearing a clerical collar, Um, You may have noticed we do have some more liturgical elements in our worship services from time to time. We've been intentionally taking things like the church year a little bit more seriously. You may have noticed things like sometimes written guided prayers for confession or thanksgiving and those kind of things. And certainly, 100%, it's possible for those things to just become ceremonial and Probably meaningless. Absolutely. But it's possible that that can happen with everything. Somebody can be preaching the best sermon in the world, but if somebody is just disengaged from it, they can be surfing through Instagram on their phone and not caring one bit about what's going on up at the front. Traditions and structures anchor us in a faith that's bigger than just ourselves, and they help us not to waste time just reinventing the wheel always. They give shape and rhythm to our lives in our gathered worship. And I believe we can incorporate these things while maintaining a solid commitment to evangelical faith and practice. So no, we're not going to start burning incense and, and you know having vestments and all of those kind of things that, that might seem a little bit out there. No, we're going to remain an evangelical church, but we're, I think, going to continue being aware of the larger 
Christian faith around us. Now here's another reality that I've been seeing over this this last few years in my own generation, right? Older generations, I think rightly so, rejected some of those things that were seen as, as more formal because maybe they had become dead, maybe they had become ineffective, ceremonial only, just a lot of going through the motions. But young people, my generation and younger, I think are frequently drawn to some of these same things because we've grown up in a culture that lacks structures, that lacks responsibilities, that lacks commitment. And so some of these same things provide a sense of that for, for discipline and for structure. So what do I think needs to change? There's going to be change. And, and Blaine's sitting here. I don't want to hear that I, you to hear that I'm throwing Blaine under the bus. Blaine has provided us with excellent leadership. I, I think Blaine would affirm that some of these things need to change and that we have been working on changing some of these things and that what I'm doing is just carrying on some of the things that we've already done. I think we have to get better at relationship. This, this community and our church, and it's, it's really just kind of an older paradigm of how you do ministry, is very event-focused. We love events. We love planning events. You can spend a lot of time and energy doing so, and you can really feel like you're accomplishing something. And we, we love events. But there's some dangers there, right? It, there can be an expectation that the build it and they will come kind of mentality. If we offer this great event, people should come to it. And then if they don't, we can say, well, what's wrong with them? We offered them this thing and they didn't come. I think we have to remember that ministry, church, it's not about giving people something to do. Ministry is not a pastime. We're not giving people something to do. If we're giving them something, we should be giving them Jesus and we should be giving them ourselves. So I think we have to be careful there. We live in a culture where busy, it's got a devoted cult. It's the thing that People say they are all the time. Ask somebody how, very busy, very busy. I am so busy. Our family is so busy. And we don't want to just give them more busy to do. We, we can't be about the business of just giving people more stuff to fill their lives with. They already have so much. So I hope that CCC, in, in our endeavor to reach people, doesn't just become a place to do more activities. I think we have to push against the tide of busy, not just make it worse. But I think the flip side of that is we and, and those that attend our church, there's a call there to examine our lives and our priorities of how do we spend our time. Are, are we really busy with important things or are we busy just with entertainment or frivolous stuff or stuff that isn't going to matter? Right? How do we organize our lives? I think that is... A critical question we're going to have to ask ourselves in, in these you know, next months and years. I've said to a few people, I've had this conversation, and you, some of you are no doubt looking at me and thinking I'm just a baby, um, but I'm getting to that point where I start to look back at my, my teen and college years, and I've said to a few people about my age, when we started college in like early 2000s, it was a totally different world than the world we live in now. It was kind of the end of an era, right? Like 
there was there was the internet, but we didn't have social media. We didn't have Netflix. YouTube didn't even exist yet. If you wanted to watch a movie or anything like that, you had to get a physical thing that had that movie recorded on it and watch it in a location. Same with music. All that kind of stuff was totally different then. And we live in this fast-paced, always-connected electronic world now where we're, we're very distracted. We have media available to us in our pockets just 24-7. And I don't think we've really learned how to live well in this world. And that's not just college-age kids. I see plenty of middle-aged and older people that are just as, as hooked on their electronic devices as any college student. And I think it's important that we learn to live well with this and not allow it to distract us from following the Lord. I think we need to continue getting better at connecting with students on this campus. And again, not because we're just trying to give them something to do. They have plenty to do already. But I think we need to give them a family of faith to walk alongside them while they're here uh, for one year, two years, four years, however long that is in college or seminary or high school. And I think that means we need to give actual opportunities, not just kind of pretend opportunities to keep people busy, but actually help people find what they're gifted at and give them opportunities to take some risks, to get some experience, to help guide and shape them and help them discover calls that they might have into ministry in the future. Another thing that we, I think, have been working on, but we have a long ways to go yet, is connecting with our community. Karenport isn't just Briarcrest anymore, and Karenport isn't just Christian anymore. Now, I don't, for both of these, connecting with students and connecting with our community, I don't really like the term relevant. I know that term really, it, it had a season where that was the word everyone used so much. We just need to be relevant. We, need, we aren't about just giving people what they want. We need to challenge as well. I don't know what word we can use to try to get at what it is we're trying to do that's better than, than relevant exactly. But the question I think we need to ask ourselves is how can we make CCC, our, our church family of faith, a place that doesn't feel like some weird alternate dimension for people coming from our wider community or for students that are coming into our midst. That doesn't mean just catering to everybody's whims and desires because you can't win doing that because people have sometimes contradictory whims and desires and you can't meet everybody's felt needs or their desires. But we do need to ask the question, how can we make this a place that is welcoming, that is, that is helpful, and yet that is also challenging as well? I think that leads to kind of my ultimate final piece of vision, if you will, to be a real church. I think CCC is still working on shedding kind of the perception and perspective that we're sort of a Sunday chapel thing. Um, I think sometimes people think of Karenport Community Church as the place you go until you find a real church. And I understand our context is weird. We are a permanent church plant in a lot of ways, right? We don't own a building and property uh, and a lot of people coming onto this campus are used to a pretty predictable model of church. You get in your car, you drive for 15 minutes, 20, half an hour, 
you go park your car in a big parking lot and you go into a church probably that was built in the 80s or 90s it has a, they all have kind of the same predictable structure and how things work and our church is not like that but i don't think that means that we have to think of ourselves as not a real church just kind of a place you go a holding pattern until you figure out what other real church you want to do and i think some of these things i've been talking about will help us to get there, working on relationships more than we work on events, working on being the body of Christ, doing things in our homes, reaching out to students, not just expecting them to come to us, reaching out to our neighbors, not just putting on an event and then wondering why they don't show up to it because it seemed like a cool thing, and being more than just kind of a clearing house for all the different events going on. I think one of the things that's really been on my my heart a lot lately has to do with the idea of being a family of faith. That's one of the things that I'm hoping we can explore a bit in the fall. I'm planning a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. Ephesians talks a lot about being the family of faith. And in the Apostle Paul's context, that had a lot to do with how Jews and Gentiles who believed in Jesus could come together and be the family of faith. But there's... There's a lot that's really rich in there that we can look at, that we can apply to our own context as well. So I think that the family language is is really important, right? Because we all know what it's like to be part of a family, good or bad. We all have been part of families over the years, right? Families, families go through times of transition. There are additions to families. You know, new new children are born into families. Uh, Families grow by welcoming new people in when someone gets married. Um, Sometimes families grow by adoption, whether that's actual adoption of a child or whether that's sort of the, the adopting of someone in kind of a mentorship role that becomes like a part of your family. Families have subtractions as well when people pass away or sometimes people just move to a place that's far away and it's not a subtraction but it is a change in relationship and our church i think we can see how the that model applies to our church as well right we do welcome new people into our family each fall we have new students that show up on campus and we want to welcome them in and we do have to say goodbye to people sometimes sometimes permanently because they go to be with jesus and other times because they leave this place and go somewhere else to serve him but I think also we recognize that in a family, there, there's a certain measure of, of care and love and acceptance, but also commitment, right? You're, you are committed to your family and to their well-being, them to you and you to them. And I think that's an essential thing that we need to also look at for our church as well. That if we aren't, you know, we, we can't just take... Karenport Community Church for granted that it's always going to be here for us. I think we all need to look at what is our responsibility to our family of faith, what's our place in it, how do we build it up, how do we make it strong. Um, We need to look at what it is that we're doing to contribute to this family and this body as well as what we're getting out of it. I think that's that's just kind of an essential thing, and I hope that's something that we can all all look at and explore, um, not just showing up on a Sunday morning, but what it actually means to be the family of faith 
in this community context where our Lord has placed us. So I think that's, that's kind of what I've got for you today, but I am open, as Jordan said, to questions or anything else that you might want to know or just know about me or kind of our, our vision going forward. John. I made a comment about the relationship with our other body on, on campus, together. Yeah, I think... I don't know, I... I that's something that we continue to look at and pray about and, and wonder if, if things may change there or, or, or quite what the Lord is doing there. I think maybe there is a sense that it's something we do need to certainly continue looking at, maybe revisit, maybe there are some new things going on, I don't know. I think it is important that whatever happens that we do... We do uh, respect one another, that we do pray for one another, uh, and that we do seek the Lord's will, seek His His plans for us, not just to kind of cling to our own plans, whatever those might be, be open. Um, but I think also for myself, I, I recognize that that's not something that we can uh, take flippantly or, or anything like that, too. I think it is important, at least I feel a sense of important importance uh, for kind of finding my own feet, getting my feet under me, um, kind of figuring out what it means to be the, the lead pastor of this church, at least in this next kind of short-term season uh, going ahead. Jordan. Uh, Josh, you talked a lot about um, family of faith and that kind of thing. Um, can you share some of your thoughts and things that we've sort of talked chat about uh, in the past about um, how people become more connected at our church as opposed to be the you know, ship in the night sort of thing or a checklist mentality? How do, people, how do you see people becoming more connected um, in that family of faith? Well, I think there are a great number of ways that that can happen. I think that's kind of the commitment piece I talked a little bit about there. As much as, as I think it's important that we don't just give people something to be busy with, I think they do need a, a place where they can be involved in, in a committed way. Uh, for some, that's going to mean some kind of service, whether that's as a musician on a worship team, whether that's you know teaching Sunday school for adults or for children. Um, for some, I think that's going to mean opening up their homes uh, whether that's just for meals on a Sunday evening to invite students over, whether there's some maybe more kind of formal Bible study, small group. I know there's a million and one names for those now. Bible study sounds kind of like what I grew up with, with some of the local seniors coming over to my mom and dad's place, you know. But it doesn't matter if we call it a trendy, cool name or whether we just call it Bible study or whatever we call it. But things that are in homes, things that are in smaller gatherings, I think are essential. I think it, especially kind of a mid-sized church like CCC and larger, it can be easier, like you said, to be a ship in the night, to just get lost in the shuffle. So to find ways um, for people to get involved in, in smaller ways, whether that's serving, whether that's just in fellowship, I think it needs to be in, in some kind of smaller smaller setting than just the big Sunday morning, because that can be passive. You can just attend and go home. And for some of us, I think that means that we, uh, as 
people that have been here a long time and, and maybe that our leaders need to think about what that means as far as how we can make that happen. Can we open up our homes? Can we mentor? Can we do those kind of things that will connect people in those more relational type ways that, that don't give you the option of just being a passive kind of consumer or absorber of church? I'm a supplementary. Thank you, Jordan. Um, you've already touched on it again, um, but just in terms of that intentional discipleship journey or pathway for people, um, just talk a little about, about where you see that headed, maybe in the next year or two. I think one of the things is if we want to reach out to our community um, and recognize that Karenport isn't kind of this little Christian bubble anymore, even if that's the perception. <coughs> Uh, it's, it's not really a true perception anymore. So I do think we need to start looking at what can we do for people that might be interested in exploring what Jesus means for them and what Christianity is all about and not just assume that people come with a pretty deep understanding because they grew up in the church. So I think there, there needs to be some of those kind of options. You know, call it New Believers Bible Study or whatever you want to call that or whatever that looks like exactly. But I think something that is more of a point of entry is going to become more and more of a need and a reality. Um, and I also think it, the, the kind of smaller group gathering, I think, is, is important to move people from that kind of learning and sometimes consuming place to a place where there is more serving, more giving, more contributing to the life of the body. And whether that's going to involve kind of formalized curriculum, like watching DVDs and workbooks and some of that, Sometimes that might look like mentoring. Sometimes that might look like gathering for prayer. But I think a lot of the times what we need to do is even say take an event like our monthly men's breakfast. How can we get beyond just having that as a thing for people to go to, which is not a bad thing, but how can we look at making that kind of a springboard for stuff that would happen the other three weeks of the month to see guys maybe getting together, maybe going a little bit deeper than you do typically on a Saturday morning at a men's prayer breakfast, but really, you know, getting into some more honest type stuff, confession and repentance and and dealing with some of the deeper things of life, um, meeting with some of the same guys on a regular basis, things like that, just, just to give one example. I think it really has to do with getting away from just attending and absorbing to intentionally doing things together. There's lots of different ways that that can happen. I think one of the dangers is just plugging people into, okay, here's the curriculum, do it. And, um, yeah, some people need a more mentoring approach. Some people need a more serving approach. But I think, I think it's important that we do something and not let the kind of paralysis by analysis take over as well. Jeff. Josh, can you kind of flesh out in, in brief broad strokes what the, what the pastoral structures going to look quite like in the future and uh, how if at all Pastor Blaine gets mixed in I, I can hardly imagine that we're going to put duct tape across his mouth for the next five years and, and not allow him to preach anymore although that would be a bad idea <laughs> um, well I, I I hope I'm not kind of telling Blaine's private stories um, publicly, but I do know that he had uh, a rather unpleasant experience early in ministry where somebody that preceded him uh, continued on in a significant leadership role 
in the church he was at and that made things difficult. Uh, that's part of the reason why he's been pretty clear that he is going to be stepping back uh, and and worshiping elsewhere as, as a general rule. Um, he's indicated some of that might look like doing some pulpit supply, some of that's going to be doing some some uh, frequent visiting to Saskatoon to see some certain little children that are very near and dear to his heart. Um, and certainly I don't think there's, there's any uh, real opposition from me or anyone else to having him preach here, but he's made it clear he does want to step back uh, for a season uh, in particular, and yeah, he won't be, he won't be part of a, a formal role or anything as we move into a new staff model, and that, that's by his own, his own choice. Is that fair, Blaine? Yep. As far as what the overall staff structure is going to look like, uh, the rest of the staff is staying on at this point. There might be some, some roles that are a little bit uh, changed up slightly. Uh, my executive pastor role and, and Blaine's lead pastor role are kind of being just put back together into one full-time role that I'll be fulfilling as lead pastor, uh, Andrew's staying on, Rick's staying on, uh, although he's kind of made it clear that his retirement isn't, you know, a far off unknown, but is, is probably going to take place in the next year or two, uh, and that's again kind of his own choice, his own stage in life, and, and where he finds himself at. I think being that Rick isn't, hasn't been our primary pastoral leader, uh, he's going to stay around and be involved, and there, there'd be no stopping Pastor Rick from uh, volunteering and helping people anyhow, so uh, he's he's going to continue doing that, doing a lot of the same things he does, just in a in a volunteer role. Uh, Christy and Cora Lee are staying on, uh, as far as I know, for the time being. Uh, but nothing nothing is set in stone yet at this point, and I think we can expect this year ahead of us to be. We haven't made a transition as of August first. It's going to be a year of, of further transition, of kind of finding what the, what the team long-term is going to look like. And I don't think we want to make any huge decisions if we, for instance, do have uh, Rick, who is planning on retiring relatively soon as well. I think we want to wait and, until we can kind of hire very intentionally for the long-term rather than locking ourselves in for what works for a short-term and then going, oh, yeah, but if we had waited a little bit and we're a little more patient... That kind of thing, Dan. I think you had a question. Yeah, maybe one last one. I don't know, but um, so you're going into a new area. We've seen you. You've seen us. All that. Um, but there's some new area ahead for you. So personally or professionally, I don't know how you want to handle it. But there's some things that you're really excited about, and there's some areas where you're going. I'm not sure how this works out. How can we pray for you? What do you need? What would be great to see? church come alongside? How do we pray for you? I think one of the big things is when you're the primary leader, you find yourself in that role. Conflict is always going to be a thing, whether that's managing conflict between someone and yourself or being drawn into conflict between other people and trying to help them manage it. I don't think there are lots of people that just love being in those situations, and I'm certainly not one of them. Uh, but I know there's going to be there's going to be conflict, right? Because we're all humans. Kind of as I said earlier, we all have our preferences in how we do things and how we'd like things to be. Uh, but the problem is sometimes those preferences are contradictory. Uh, 
pastoral staff and church leadership can't just kind of meet everybody's felt needs because some people have have preferences in worship style, say, that are actually quite opposite in in some regards. Some people have have uh, just very different ideas of what we ought to do, and we we can't meet all of those, and I feel the weight of, of knowing that people have sometimes very strong opinions about things that we just, we, we can't do. We can't do everything, and I think that's something that I feel the weight of, how to communicate that well, how to lead well, how to find that path that avoids the extremes, that avoids getting bogged down every time somebody has, you know what would work really well is if you did, and like, you might be the only person in this entire province that thinks that, but okay, you know, that, that, just, that just happens sometimes where people have great ideas and you have to try to find a way to gently and politely tell them that I don't think we're going down that road, but thank you for your input. And I, I think part of it is in a, in a corporate atmosphere, in a business, you have a suggestion box, but a lot of the time you feel more free to just kind of throw some of those suggestions in the garbage and not take them because you know that's not how we run our business, that's just not what's going to work. Uh, in the church, that gets a little bit harder. You're dealing with a lot more personal things. You're dealing with people's souls and their faith and uh, their emotions and their hearts, and, and you can't just disregard things so easily, but you do still have to lead forward. Uh, and yeah, so to help, a prayer request would certainly be to help me balance that uh, between leading and, and following the, the vision that, that kind of forms over this next year, um, but not doing so in a way that's hurtful to people. But on the other hand, not just allowing the desire to never hurt anyone's feelings, kind of just hamstringing our ability to do anything. Because uh, that's... that's the, One of my big things is the avoidance of the extremes and trying to find some sane and healthy place to live in the middle. Um, when it comes to those those kind of things, those tensions, those conflicts. Anything else? Any other questions, thoughts, comments? I'll let the silence say it's time. Um, we just want to provide opportunity to pray for Josh. And uh, I've known Josh for, what, about 10 years now, I guess? And uh, like the first time I met Josh, he had an electrifying experience with a waxing machine, floor waxing machine, I think. I did. Yeah. He was almost, uh, almost not here with us. So um, I've just seen, uh, seen God continually use Josh, continually um, more and more responsibility. And uh, we all know Josh is is um, well fit for this job, you know, and um, I just very um, very excited for him for the future. So uh, we just want to provide an opportunity to pray. Uh, it would be great if we would just sit at the table here and Josh, if you want to take a chair, and we'll just uh, we'll all put our hands on you and sure. pray for you. So okay.